Book Maricena As read by Green-Eyed Music Lover Part 1 Archiloquy Secrets Do you come in hope, O reader, for the secrets of my reign? A parable In the nitrate earth of the lightning crater, where the firmament has joined an electric fury with the fundament, there lives a burrowing insect with two trembling antennae, thin as whiskers, long as life. A grasping hand reaches for the buried secret, finds the antenna, and pulls. Comes away with a single whisker. Meaningless. The searcher disappointed. A wounded insect buried deeper, the secret now half blind. That which digs for truth may bury deeper lies. If you recognize my authority, then I command you to pass onward as gently as the lover passes a razor over beloved skin. If you do not, then I name you Magicept, doubter of royalty, and I suggest you watch your edge. Cut too deep and too quick, and you will kill the thing you want to know. Think too eagerly. And as the digging hand leaves its print in soft earth, so you will find only the image left by your own presumptions. Beware the one who feeds on truth adjacent lies. Beware the space between reality as imagined and reality as is, for it is abundant to those with appetite. So then, the brave voyager's fate, the timeless birthing place, my Milton reenactment. The ruins made ours, the riven twice riven, the daughter's blood scabbed hard on mother's wound. All things told, all truth revealed. If through mist and mystery, if you have grace, then see our sorrows, but swallow back your tears. We were made to pay this price. I led us to our fate. Seek me in my place. Hear these whispers from the lips of Queen-Egged God. Brephos 1 The woman sits on a ledge that overhangs infinity. She looks down and kicks her legs. The stars shine brilliant here, because the sun is only fractionally brighter than the rest of them. Soul lies almost perfectly below her. Of course, up and down are defined only by the thrust axis of Yang Liwei. Upward, the black umbrella of the shield and the matter storage and the docked ships which make Yang Liwei not just a mothership, but an entire traveling fleet. Down below, along the slim spine of the ship, the shielded bulb of the engine glows invisibly infrared. If she slips off this ledge, she will fall down the ship's length at one-third of an Earth gravity, not because there's anything pulling her, but because the ship is pulling away. Gang Liwei is accelerating, slowly, but inexorably, towards the stars. She is of no single race or ancestry, and the light on her skin is the color of starlight. She drifts with her suit tinted clear so she can soak it up. She was 19 years and 9 months old at the moment the ship began its transstellar injection burn, Although this is only true if you count by the calendar of a planet she has barely visited, 
but will always love. She thinks you cannot help but love Earth if you grow up in space. You love Earth the way all adolescents secretly adore two-century-old video of Nai Nai and Yi Yi dancing on New Year's Eve. Earth doesn't ask too much. The colonies are demanding parents, but Earth is like a chill old grandam simmering in weird art and weirder ideas and thrown upon ecology older than human time. Earth was the first terraformed world. Life made Earth livable. She is going with Yang Liwei and the rest of Project Amrita to make new worlds. She came because she saw an omen in a man's death. She was on EVA with him, repairing a jammed radiator fin on an uncrewed Circumjovian platform. They worked in companionable silence, listening to the howl of the Jovian magnetosphere when it happened. A frozen rabbit embryo came out of deep space at 40 kilometers per second and went through his faceplate. The rabbit must have been spilled in a biocontainer accident far from the sun to plunge back inward like a comet. Immediately afterward, for reasons very clear to her, because she has always had a sense for the meaning of things, reasons very difficult to explain to others, because she has always felt this sense was secret, she asked her mother if the family could travel with Project Amrita. Amrita, the drink that endeth drinking, the bottomless cup. It is the quest to spread far beyond the solar system and to end human dependency on the traveler. It calls to those who see humanity as a cocoon, an instar, a form ready to be shed. She is an Autorge third class, a self-motivating subsystem of the ship's inclusive ecology, a term that spans technology, biology, and behavior, all of which must be maintained for the mission to succeed. Her task is to locate problems and report them to an Autorge second class who will give her the tools she needs to repair them. But she never speaks to her second. She never tells anyone about the problems she finds. Instead, she fixes them herself. Her work has therefore assumed a magical quality. She appears where there is trouble, and shortly afterward, the trouble goes away. People have begun to leave gifts for her. Some of these gifts are questions. She answers the questions with a quiet confidence some would argue she has not earned. She knows she sees more of their lives than they see of hers. And that this mystery, this seeing without being seen, grants her a kind of power that is like wisdom. She lives outside the ship, suited and cocooned in a layer of cytogel, which keeps her surgically clean. She misses the wild zero-gravity fashions of her upbringing, clothes like drifting jellyfish that squirm away from snags, self-correcting darts in the fabric, silk like cool spilled alcohol. She misses the sense of oil and sweat on her skin, for the suit leaves her so clean that she feels skinned raw. Still, she stays out here because she wants to feel the changing taste of starlight as the universe ahead blue shifts. As Yang Liwei accelerates towards light speed, it moves faster and faster into the light coming from ahead. If light were like dust, it would strike Yang faster. But light can never change speed, so it gains energy instead. Red light is low energy, and blue-violet light is high energy, so the universe becomes blue. Even now, the very tip of the visual spectrum, violet-blue light is shifting up into invisible ultraviolet, the color of speed. 
the color of future. Brefos 2 Mara! The fighter shouts, delighted, and a punch shuts him concussively up. It's a real good hit, a thunderous uppercut to the point of the jaw. Mara hears his teeth grind across each other, down into lip flesh and shredded gums. She cringes in silent sympathy. He loses his grip on the equipment rack and tumbles out into zero gravity in a big arc of blood. His opponent goes for the coup de grace, kicks off hard and catches him in the stomach like a human torpedo. They plunge together towards the kill zone painted on the floor. Aldwin grins messily at Mara over his opponent's shoulder. He's fighting a big, brutal woman from Gravity Ops, a woman who's had her myostation genes knocked out so she can swell up into a giant plug of brawn. Aldwin doesn't have a chance. He took the fight for the same reason he wanted to join the Amrita expedition. He measures himself by the bravery of his losses, by what he can survive losing. He applies a blood choke. It's the right move, but it doesn't matter. The woman groans, grays out, goes limp. But Aldwin can't get out from beneath her sheer inertia before he hits the kill zone. The bell goes off. Aldwin groans as his rail-hard body forcibly decelerates his opponent's entire mass. Events have built up momentum, and he is just in the way. What did you lose? Mara asked him. He lies there panting and grinning, shedding perfectly round spheres of blood. It's good to see you inside. What brought you? She and her fraternal twin never answer each other's questions directly. Mara's cool with this because she feels like words are a very bad system of encryption, and that if you really want to communicate with someone, you must develop your own special one-to-one -one cryptosystem. The ideal statement, Mara feels, would be indecipherable to anyone but the person it's spoken to, and even then, only if they know you are the one speaking. I got you some pictures, she says, pushing the big woman off him, eliciting a fuzzy, Oh, hi, Mara. Full sensorium captures. You can trade them for the parts I need. Aldwin helps the big woman pull herself vertical, but his eyes are narrow on Mara. Not because he's sore at the idea of helping her. He's always liked bartering, bargaining, the hustle but because he knows what kind of black market wants these captures. How far off the hull did you take them? How far off? All the way off. They are in zero gravity because Yang Liwei shut off its engines for an inspection cycle. So while Aldwin got in prize fights, Mara kicked off Yang Liwei's forward shield and coasted 10 kilometers into pure void, tethered, by only a thread-thin molecular line. She ordered her suit's cytogel to gather around her face. Then, only then, she overrode every sanity system in her soft suit and commanded it to retract into storage mode. The suit peeled away like rind, and she was drifting in hard vacuum. 
The void boiled the water off her skin. Her body swelled with unchecked pressure until her undersuit forced it to stop. Alarmed, Cytogel crawled down her throat, hissing emergency oxygen. Not enough. Her skin blued with cyanosis. She was bathed in the most profound emptiness. She recorded it all at the neural level. The exquisite darkness, the sense of fatal independence from all things. There are those who will give anything to feel that void. You can't keep doing this, Aldwin complains, as the big woman stares at Mara in awe. Mom is going to die of worry. Brethos 3 I really don't care what risk you take, Mara's mother sighs. That's the deal we made, my little yellow star. Mom! Mara protests. My discarded tube of sealant. My sweet little fleck of paint. Osana likes to compare Mara to small pestilent items that drift near spacecraft, like crystals of frozen urine. As far as Mara can tell, Osana is the apex of a centuries-long project to create the ultimate embarrassing mom. She's also very blunt. Mara, even when you were little, you wanted me to treat you like an adult. So I have. But you remember what I told you, don't you? If you don't want to be my daughter, I can't watch over you like a mother would. I can't put you first like a mother would. I will always be your friend, but I have to make my own choices too. That doesn't mean you had to tell the captain! They walk shoulder to shoulder down the companionway to Captain Lee's wardroom. Mar keeps trying to get a step ahead, to lead, but Osana somehow matches her every time. Of course I did, Osana says. You started a cult, Mara. If I didn't say something to the captain, Behavior would have had this conversation with you instead. Do you want that? I didn't do anything. People liked my captures. People left me presents, spare parts, tips. Then Aldwin got into it. You know how he is. Don't! Osana wheels on her. For shame, Mara. You know your brother will follow you anywhere you lead. You know he's not capable of the same... Her lips twitch. Imperial remove. You knew he'd brag about you living on the hall, and you let him do it. It is one thing to have a particular power over people, Mara, but it is another to deny that you are using it. Mara thinks that she can come up with a stinging retort given a few more paces, but it's too late. The hatch to Captain Lee's wardroom swings open. Mara is terrified of this place. This is where Captain Alice Lee, Divine Presence in Mara's life, interfaces with the officers who are the manifestations of her will. Since Mara wants to be Alice Lee someday, the wardroom makes Mara feel like she is a usurper princess scoping out her rival's court. Captain Lee offers them tea. Mara cannot imagine the ways in which she is butchering what must be an intricate and meaningful tea ceremony. Lee serves some very battered pre-traveler ceramic sloshing with hot green tea, then immediately adulterates her own cup with milk from the cow thing on the bio deck. Revolting, isn't it? She smiles at Mara's bewildered horror. 
You should have seen what I put in my tea when I was camping in Mongolia. I understand your colleague, who is also your mother, has some concerns about your relationship with the rest of the crew. My darling Mara, Osana says, has, entirely by accident, I'm sure, cultivated a reputation as a minor divinity. Her captures from outside the ship are hot items for barter. People draw fan art. There are tips left for her. You take captures while EVA, sometimes without a suit? Lee nods. Yes, I've played one. A remarkable sensation. This makes Mara grin impudently. Mara, you are an Arturge, a volunteer. I cannot order you to stop, and your work is exemplary. Are you putting anyone else in danger with your... art projects? No, Mara says. Just myself. False, Lee barks. That is a selfish answer. You are now a symbol to my crew, a house god. If you were to die, they would lose something important, something human that they have created out of loneliness and void. It would be an unforgettable reminder of the hostile nothingness that surrounds us. When you endanger yourself, you endanger that symbol. You are part of this mission's behavioral armor, Mara. Mara is thunderstruck. She never thought about it this way. All I did was take some captures. I didn't ask to be anyone's... mascot. You presented yourself as a conduit to secret knowledge, Captain Lee counters. People made something out of you, Mara. Please, take this from a starship captain. What people make of you, what they create of you, even without your consent, becomes a kind of responsibility. If the Mara they see when they look at you is good for them, then you have some duty to be that Mara. She looks to Osana. What about your boy? He's in medical more often than any of the other underground fighters. It doesn't surprise Mara that Captain Lee knows about the fights. My son, Osana says, is determined to be his own worst enemy. Thank you for taking the time to speak to us. Of course. Lee studies them coolly. I keep an ear out for... curious personalities. People who might be suited to long-term isolation when the rest of us are in cryo. People who awaken when others sleep. Cosmogyre 1 Exodus Green to Unknown Maneuvering Object. Please squawk your transponder and ident. Over. Another silent quarter hour passes in flight. No response comes from the transient contact 12 and a half light minutes away. The ghost has stalked Yang Liwei for 18 hours now, closing in each time it appears. And Captain Alice Lee is wary of it. Other colony missions have vanished during their outward burns, victims of mishap or hostility. Because of these disappearances, Project Amrita did not hurl itself fearless into the void. Rather, they came armed to the molars. Let's give them a fright, she decides. Cut the main engine. The ship's AI executes the command, but a crew person confirms and calls the order back. Mecco, aye aye. 
launch a distributed antenna, heat up the targeting radar for a full fusion-powered snapshot. We'll take their picture and see what we see. Captain, the comms officer calls. I've got something weird here. Is our phantom saying hello? No, it's a neutrino type beam from Solsexent. They've declared a car-high white emergency. The whole solar system is now... Now under war mind control. Comms dismisses her sensorium, goes to her hard controls, as if she thinks this might be some kind of virtual prank. We're... being conscripted. Alice smashes these ideas together in her head like a child banging rocks. They are so preposterous, so stupid that she can't even begin to manipulate them coherently. We're... what? We're being commissioned as an auxiliary warship. We are ordered to... Calm swallows in disbelief. To kill our exit trajectory and assume a heliocentric orbit. That comes with explicit instructions to suicide burn our engines until they are destroyed. Rasputin will transmit targeting coordinates so we can use our kinetic weapons as... Long-range artillery. Will be recovered after the crisis is concluded. Details. What kind of crisis? It's a sky shock event, ma'am. Uh, that's a hostile extrasolar arrival. Captain Lee clamps the mask of command authority over her face. Transmit a request for clarification. Belay the antenna, Captain? No. Scale it up. Add telescopes to the swarm. Get me a full system survey. I want to know what's going on back home. Alice Lee reaches out to call up a file, hesitates, and then selects the Project Amrita Charter. We have a decision to make. Cosmogire 2 Mara kicks off Yang Liwei's forward shield, aiming astern and inward, so she will cross the void to the ship's spine in a long, slow curve. Oh, come on, Aldwin says in delight as much as horror. You really do this all the time? All the time. Yang is a big ship, newer than the antique trucks used in other Exodus missions. Project Amrita demanded the cutting edge of human science. It says that in the mission charter, which everyone's been rereading, the captain has called a vote. Should Yang Liwei turn home? What if the ship starts accelerating? Aldwin has already, of course, leapt after her. His envy-yellow soft suit glows with gentle bioluminescence. We'd just fall forever. We'd fall under the stars. We're still on a solar escape trajectory. Yang would just outrun us. At least we'd still be going in the right direction. She doesn't think she's given anything away, but somehow he knows. Mara... He looks up frowning, his face bigger and brighter than the distant sun. You want to go back, don't you? You're going to vote to return. Mara thinks that if she looked him in the eye, he would see the truth, the turmoil, the half-formed yes. Mara, you don't have to tell me how. He swallows the hitch in his voice. I've seen how bad it is. I've watched it long enough to know it's not going to get better. They're gambling everything on the Traveler. We came out here to get away from it, to step off the easy path. Why would we go back? 
because I asked us to leave, Mara thinks. Because something came out of deep space and killed the man next to me, and I saw the omen, and I said we should go, and now I feel like a coward. We might make a difference, she says. There are other ships. We'd be dead before we saved a single soul. He's right. She doesn't want him to be right, but he's right. And she cannot withdraw into some silent place where she is above this choice. They drift in silence until Yang Li Wei's silver stem rushes up to meet them. Mara spins, uncoils, and lands in a crouch. Alduin comes down on his hands and springs up grinning, but the smile dies when he sees her expression. Oh, Mara. She's silent. We left everything behind, he says, and it turns out we did that for a very good reason. We don't owe... We don't owe those people our deaths. We don't owe them our dreams. I know, she says. I know. The EVA guard channel pops into her sensorium. Everybody should get inside, Captain Lee calls. Our friend is closing in on us and we need to maneuver. Cosmogyre 3 The stars have gone out. The universe blackened. A shroud of nothingness drawn over Yang Liwei, its 40,000 sleeping passengers, its 900 crew, and maybe even the whole solar system. There's no way to know, because there is no way to see anything beyond the hull. The vacuum itself has become hostile to the propagation of light. Darkness surrounds them. The ship bucks on a storm sea as space-time ripples with gravity tides. Report! Captain Lee calls. Her sensorium blazes with positional telemetry from ring laser gyros. Beacon satellites, pulsar fixes, cosmic microwave background texture, galactic EM-filled terrain mapping. Every single instrument, useless, crashed, spitting nonsense. Sound off by stations. Fido, the flight dynamics officer calls. Main engine on safe. Thrusters firing erratically. Altitude control keeps crashing to manual. Guidance, I have no position. I cannot get a vector. We're moving, but I can't tell how or where. Inco, no external comms. Internal networks are dropping in and out. An incredible sensation washes over Captain Lee. A rumble and a thrum down in her gut, in her marrow, in the lowest, basest elements of her body. It is the vibration, the sound of the very fabric of her being scrunching up and stretching out. The distance between the atoms of her body collapses, then expands. The cycle repeats again and again. For a moment, she feels her fingertips and toes pull away from her core yanked by tidal forces. It feels like the lowest rumble of the biggest subwoofer ever built. It sounds like the deep voice of God, whispering ASMR directly into her ear. It tingles, it thrills, and it leaves in its wake a subsonic tint of dread and anticipation. She shivers. Gravity wave, she says. Talk to me, Geode. 
The space-time geodesics officer looks like she's just been hand-delivered a Nobel. This is amazing! She crows, fully aware that she and everyone else are about to die, but transported away from such temporal concerns by scientific rapture. Can you feel that growl? We're experiencing high-frequency, high-amplitude gravity waves, phaeton strikes, axion decaying through the hull, sterile neutrinos, it's all coming from a source at bearing a zero four five mark zero three zero relative range range highly variable. Another wave tears through Yang Liwei. Everything in the ship simultaneously compresses and stretches as the gravity wave deforms the space-time metric. Is it the Phantom? Lee demands as her ship thrums subsonically. Is that Phantom's ship emitting these waves? I have no idea, Geode says exultantly. None of this makes any sense at all. Wow. Alice Lee has the distinct sense that something ancient and malevolent is operating upon them. A trillion-fingered hand reaching in to caress the very atoms of their being, setting protons a-spin, strumming nerves like guitar strings, a tongue with ten billion slithering forks tasting the surface of their brains. The sense of imminent doom crescendos. She knows, absolutely and utterly, that what is about to happen to her and her crew is far worse than death. The darkness knows them now. The thing that has come to kill humanity has their taste. Inko, she clings to her restraint harness as the ship growls through another wave. Her bones creak as they stretch. Last report on the Traveler. Any sign of intervention? It was at Earth, Captain, and there were high-yield weapon discharges all over the signal. Nothing else. Understood. Well, she did not fly this far to look back and beg for salvation from an alien god. Pinned to the center of her sensorium is the blazing ledger of her crew's vote. We go onward. We do not turn home. Our fate lies ahead, not behind. Launch an antennae, she orders. I want every probe and satellite we've got outside. Captain, Inko protests. The vacuum's not signal permissive. We're still passing signals internally, aren't we? Use hardline. Run filament between the satellites. I want a transmitter sail out there, and I want to broadcast. Her flight crew stares. Captain? Fido says. Broadcast what? A declaration of neutrality. Alice Lee grits her teeth against another wave. It rattles her molars in her skull. Whatever's out there, it came for the Traveler. We tell it we're not part of this war. We've seceded from human existence under the Traveler. We demand to be treated as a separate species, not party to baseline humanity's conflicts. And we pray there's something out there that cares about the difference. <laughs>